What's your mom? A working mom. And what did she write? The working the mom. The working mom blueprint. blueprint. And what should they do? Go buy, buy it today. The Working Mom Blueprint is now available wherever books are sold. Go grab it for yourself, for a friend, for a sister, for a colleague, so we can help working moms, all moms, to thrive, not just survive on their motherhood journey. Mm Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc podcast. Today, we're going to chat about friends. And this is a topic that I think is going to be really, really interesting and important because I think for a lot of us as modern moms, it's like those friendships just get on the back burner once we have kids. And so today, we are chatting with Erin Falconer who wrote the book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, Finding Meaning, Connection, and Boundaries in Modern Friendships. Welcome, Erin, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, Erin, talk first about the backstory. You know, I was a journalism major in college. I'm always interested in kind of what brought people to write the book they wrote, what got them really interested in their topic. So tell me what brought this to life. Right. So I kind of had a very nonlinear path to this book. I actually wrote my first book was called How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Doing Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. And that book really took a look at redefining what productivity means for women, what true productivity means for women, and kind of creating a definition for women because Prior to this, there really, we didn't look at productivity in any kind of nuanced way. It was like input, hours spent, output. Mm -hmm. And so I was seeing a lot of women working, 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 spinning their wheels, very frustrated, very burnt out, and never stopping to really take stock of, you know, who they are, where they are, how they got here and where you want to go. Right. And so after that book and the success of that book, I was kind of looking at, what could a 2.0 version of that book be? And I spent an endless amount of time going in different directions, down different rabbit holes, and nothing was really resonating with me. And I was actually starting to get super frustrated and nervous, actually, like, oh my God, like, what what am I going to write here? And I woke up one morning at around six in the morning, which is way early for me. And so I was kind (laughs) of like half asleep, half awake. And this statement or Came, just came to my mind how to break up with your friends. And I was like, what, what? Try to go back to sleep. And then for the next two days, that statement kept popping into my head. 
to the point of great irritation when, you know, two or three days later, I was like, what is this about? Like, why, you know, I'm trying to work diligently on a productivity book. And it's as I kind of digested or metabolized this statement, I started to look at my own friendships. I kind of had no choice because this idea just kept popping in my head. And as I was looking at them, it kind of workshopping them, I was like, oh my gosh, we have this incredible untapped resource in these friendships that we are just dialing in, expecting to give, 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 kind of afraid of what to ask for what we really want and need, despite outwardly being like, she's my BFF, you know, she's everything, rah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. Like, so in words, very appreciative of friendship, but in action and in doing the work, and I talk a lot about that in the first book, really not a lot happening. And I was, for me, if something's not bringing you energy, it's taking it. There is no kind of net neutral. And so I started to really critically analyze what if we did be really intentional about, did act really intentionally about the people in our life in a friendship capacity. And I think we have a whole world of energy, a full world of fulfillment, of joy, of support, all things that really dovetail nicely with productivity. And I think we could have the, the, the potential to unlock some real magic here. And so this book is kind of a look into the importance of friendship, you know, not just from like a fun perspective, but physiologically, biologically, emotionally, these relationships have the power to really do good in your life, but you have to work at them. And so when I was thinking about, but why aren't we working at them? I'm also a therapist. And I was like, you know, it's so funny. It's never dawned on me. You know, we have individual therapy, couples therapy, family therapy, nothing on friendship. And yet so many of my clients come in talking about upset and angst, you know, having a conflict, yeah. you know, f- problems with friends. And I was like, it's so unbelievable. Like we really do not have a language to navigate th- friendship, conflict and friendship. There's no kind of blueprint. There's no kind of general expectations of what a really good friendship should mean for you. And so that's kind of the foray into the book. And so even though the title is how to break up with your friends, There's only one chapter on actually literally how to break up with a friend. There are nine chapters on the importance of really rolling up your sleeves and doing the work because on the other side of that, these relationships have the power to really give. So A, I love that you're creating a blueprint for this. And that's how I kind of think about my work too. And I think that's how a lot of these books come about. It's like, gosh, I don't see this anywhere and I need it. And I see all these people around me that really need it. So, okay, fine. I'm just going to produce it. I have a couple thoughts that came into my head. One is about what we were taught as kids about friendship. And I always think about Mm. this in my pediatrics practice when I'm talking with families and especially families of young girls. And I'm always thinking about in my growing up years about how really how to be a good friend wasn't explicitly taught. If it was, Mm -hmm. it was always around like appearances. You need to be grateful. You need to be the kind of person that people would want to be friends with. Someone makes you kind of feel bad. Well, they're, I'm sure, a good person. Forgive, right? Like never around really boundary setting 
about what works mm-hmm. for you in a give and take kind of relationship mm-hmm. and the way, same way you would think about your partner or a work colleague, a teammate who's working right. with you on a common goal. And so I love that we're hopefully changing the narrative for our young girls, because I think that's going to allow them to have healthier relationships with their partners and in their work and in their families overall, when we really start at that place of friendship. And then the other thing that comes to mind is just, my gosh, what an incredibly daunting task to take on. You are absolutely right. Right. Probably friendships are like the place that I give the least in terms of like my energy toward trying to make them really healthy places. And my guess is that a lot of people are thinking, as they listen to this, I don't even have time to do anything with my friends, (laughs) much less like dive into making them amazing. So can we start there about like, how do you even cultivate friendships? Like what are healthy friendships? What Mm -hmm. are kind of the, what's the foundation? Well, so here's, here's the thing. It does feel counterintuitive, right? It's like... Even for the first book, what I kind of talk about is counterintuitive, is the idea is do less and get more done of meaning, right? And this is also the, for me, I was guilty of this myself. Like when I was back in my internet days and I was my absolute busiest, the first thing I would do when my schedule got tight was like cross off the drinks with friends, cross, you know, take off any friend obligations so I could get my work done. And that makes sense on its face. But when you really think about it, if you are meeting up with these friends in a meaningful way, and that doesn't mean like a loud bar with 17 people and you're scrolling your phone, because right. then you can cancel that off the list. Right. But if you would spend one hour with a friend or two, having a meal, device-free, really talking and communicating, sharing, listening, being heard, listened to, seen, what that could actually do for your energy level the next day when you've still got that crazy busy schedule is really unbelievable. And so while it feels like I don't have time to do this, I, my argument is you don't have time not to. So like anything, when you're starting out at the beginning, it's really daunting, right? But one of the big kind of revelations that I had was like, you know, we are a culture that is so obsessed with auditing other things. Like we want to know every calorie, every Mm -hmm. gram of protein, every Mm -hmm. gram of fiber, every gram of fat we put in our body. We're wearing watches that we literally take with us to the bathroom to make sure we don't miss a step. And we're constantly like doing analytics work on how many, literally how many steps we're taking in the day. (laughs) You know, Marie Kondo had a very amazing book about decluttering your physical space, you know, right. So that became a huge thing, you know, the Marie Kondo effect of like, let me look at every single thing in my home and assess its worth and at the energy it's taking up. So we're like obsessed with all of this, right? And yet the people we keep in our life eh, don't have time. And so right when you start to say it like that, right? And go, that is really weird that I would care more about the steps I'm taking in a day than the people I'm interacting with. And so when you position it like that, you almost kind of, don't have a choice, right? Yeah. But to say, yeah. okay, let me start from scratch. And the place you always start is with yourself, right? And it's yeah. kind of what I said in, about in the first book, you have to do a self audit. Where am I in my life? Who am I? Like what defines me as a person? Yeah. Where do I want to go? And how do I want to project out into the future? And who, what relationships are best to help me do that? And then it's all completely reciprocal. And where can I contribute and be of value to the other people? And so until you start doing that work, you're just running blindly, right? And what happens is 
you kind of numb yourself to these relationships and you never want to be going through life numb with anything, right? You want to be active and alive and making choices because when you're making choices, you've got personal power. And so a great place to start is making choices about who you're going to spend time with. And of course, at different points of your life, you have different bandwidths, right? You're a new mom, don't have a lot of time, but then let me be kind of strategic about which people I am going to spend time with. Because as you know, new moms are out there swinging blindly and at their wits end, you know, with fear and worry and exhaustion, you need to align yourself with people that are going through the same thing with you or that have come out the other side and can provide, you know, support and kind of, you know, a light, a lamp post to where you want to get to. I would say as a new mom, this is the most crucial time to be reaching Mm -hmm. out to people. And I'm sure, you know, you, I, you might interface a little bit with like postpartum depression and stuff like that. And so being able, being able to connect and feel seen and understood really helps mitigate a lot of that. And so, but it's true of any, if you start a new career, a new job, finding people that can really help you feel supported, so important. So again, like a lot of kind of counterintuitive feelings, like, no, I'm going to be all about my career. Make the time to be a little strategic about this is where I'm at right now. This is where I'll place my energy right now in in these relationships. Right. So, yeah. So I, I think as counterintuitive as it may seem, Super, super important. And then to your other point, I spend an entire chapter talking about first friendships and how they shape you and or can misshape you. And so spending a lot of time looking back on what, how did I do friendship right from the beginning? And the truth is for very young children, we kind of place them at a school or at, you know, our friends, houses that have also children. They're all relationships by proximity with very little choice, right? Yeah. You're going here, go on the playground, make a friend, go do this. This is your class. Find somebody you like that. And so there's actually not, well, that's very good in terms of socialization. You're not really finding out in the world, finding your people, right? It's like Mm -hmm. proximity, proximity, proximity. Of course, as you get into the teen years, you can start to navigate a little with a little more consciousness. Okay, I'm vibing with this person. I'm vibing with this person. These are my people. And then through trial and error and a lot of teen angst, you kind of start to realize, you know, who your friends are and also realize a lot about yourself through who you're choosing as your friends. But there are a lot of also negative behaviors that you develop as a small child. Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were a bully. Maybe you felt very ostracized and therefore developed a lot of defenses that, again, if you were out there actively searching the right people, as opposed to just being put in a group and say, find somebody, which yeah. not all, you're, all, you're not always going to find somebody in a class of 20 people, right? And yeah. so those things can really shade how you're going into your world as an adult And yet the scenario is not the same. You can go out and actively find your people. There are people out there for you. So understanding Mm -hmm. how you were, saw yourself in the world as a friend, you know, in grade one might give you a lot of information about insecurities or shortcomings or delusions that you have about that, that are living with you now that aren't necessarily true. And also the way your parents socialized really can influence you. Like, I had a mom that was like the hostess with the mostest, right? So I just naturally thought like, well, that's how you're supposed to be. Turns out I'm a bit of an introvert. 
And so yeah. I, for a long time, was like trying to put up this facade of like, I'll throw dinner parties, I'll do this. And I like didn't enjoy it. Right. And so also was like, where, wait, that was modeled for me and it's great and I love it, but it's also not me. And so where can I find the best place to live that's true to me, who I am? I think that particular point is so important. And I think the further you get into becoming an adult in the, emotional state of like the definition of adult as opposed to your age. Right. Right. But the more aware you're becoming of who you are and what your needs are and how do you have a reciprocal relationship with someone where you're both mutually meeting each other's needs. I think the more open you become to that, this comes up in my family because my husband is an extreme extrovert and was trained to be like party and like loves it. And Right. I, my parents did the same thing. They constantly had parties, but I'm a total introvert. So now when right. we're choosing like mutual friends to go do something with, like a couple's thing to go do something with, right. Right. he'll very much say things like, well, there's nothing wrong with them. We could spend a weekend with them. <laughs> and I'm constantly right. like, hold up. Like no. I can invest a dinner um, and they're perfectly <laughs> right. nice people and I'm happy to invest a dinner, but an entire 48 hours away from my children with people that I can't get kind of deep with and like really be connected right. with. Like, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, not right. Exactly. For, yeah. For the investment that I'm making. Right. Absolutely. And again, like just having awareness of that, right. Cause a lot of people don't, they're just kind of going with the flow that's taking your energy that's burning you out you know and so you don't know it and it's not like one big stab wound it's death by a million cuts but until you have eyes on it you can't do anything to change it right and so Mm -hmm. like those kinds of pieces of information really important to have Mm -hmm. otherwise it can also be a source of consternation between you and your husband right like a growing resentment that you're constantly being pulled into these things well if you haven't how can you communicate you don't really want to do it in a meaningful way if you haven't realized it in yourself, right? And so like the signs are always there. It's about reducing the chaos in your mind consistently so that you can hear them and, 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 you, and you consciously are open to like investigating all the things that are constantly around you. But we miss so often because we're just like head down, going, 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 scrolling Instagram feeds, pulled in a million different directions. And that's how I see just this growing sense of irritation, anxiety, burnout. And of course you throw in a two-year global pandemic and this is like recipe for disasters, Bill, right? So like for me, mm-hmm. finding ways that you can rejuvenate, that you can feel supported, that you can feel like it's worth it, the rest of the chaos of life is worth it, is more important now than ever. You know how like in high school you could join different clubs depending on your interests or things people were into? I wasn't really that much of a club person when I was younger, but these days it feels like having a tribe of other working moms around me is so, so valuable. And it's hard to do in real life because we're all scattered and busy and have our separate lives. We have designed the Modern Mamas Club to be that club, that tribe, that support network for you. And we 
didn't want it just to be about what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome professional or what are the ways we can help you to be an awesome mom, but also what are the ways we can help you to remember who you are as an individual person? Voila, welcome. The Modern Mamas Club is on the scene. It's a community of mamas to support you, 24 access to our video library, live events, workshops, hangouts, relatable mom rooms and discussions, and a resource library and recommendations from yours truly, Dr. Whitney. Go check it out at modernmommydoc.com. So help me and help our listeners as we're working through this, we've decided I want to invest in friendship. I want to put energy into these people who will be able to be supportive over time and I can be supportive to them. It'll be energy giving. Are there some litmus tests to run through or some specific things to look for in a friendship or measures people can use to say, is this a good fit for me or is this relationship working Mm -hmm. for me in a friendship category? Yeah. Well, a very good starting point is, and it's very simple, but sit down with a pen and paper or type if that's what you, if that's your thing and literally just write down the names of, you know, the top 15 or 20 people that are in your life and just watch your reaction when you see their name appear on that paper. A very Mm. good litmus test is when you see one of those names appear on your call display, they're calling you. Do you go, oh, God, I want to talk to this person? Or do you go, oh, right? Small. But what's your visceral reaction to this person? Don't think about it. You see their name on paper. You write it down. Whitney, what's your reaction? Okay, great starting point. Okay, I feel nothing. Good information. I feel excited. Great information. I feel irritated. Also good information. And then what you have to do is start to drill down and say, why do I feel irritated? It's amazing. It's, and it doesn't take, it actually doesn't take that much because you start to go down a rabbit hole of like, oh, and then that happened and that happened. And often these things are not big things, mm-hmm. but they're micro irritations that you're not dealing, that you've not dealt with. You've either just said, ah, oh, I don't have the energy or it's not that big a deal or whatever. But over mm-hmm. time, cumulatively, cumulatively, these things add up, right? And so you can have a, a growing resentment with a friend or just, Again, like a real kind of like, what's the word? Like an ambivalence. Like it's not even like you have a negative feeling or just like, and a lot of times because you've just numbed yourself to the irritation, but of course you can't just numb irritation. You When you numb, you numb joy, you numb, you know, excitement, you numb energy. And so getting to the source of that, sometimes you'll get to the source of it and be like, yeah, no, this is just not, this has been dead for a long time. We're just kind of keeping up a facade. Or it, I, I mean, a good example is like, I live in LA and do you live in LA? I live in Portland. Oh, Portland, Portland. That's right. So I live in LA. So it's a big driving town as, yeah. as yeah. everybody knows. And I have, I live on the West side by the, by the beach. And my, I have a couple of good friends that live on the East side. It's like a, you know, no traffic, a it's track. 40 minutes traffic. Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a big deal. So I have this one friend who I otherwise love. She's fantastic been friends forever. Mm -hmm. 
And I got, when the pandemic started, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I started to get this onslaught of like Zoom happy hours, mm-hmm. like yes. invites, like different, like girlfriends trying to like, you know, and some of them I was like, oh my God, yes. Like, oh, I haven't seen you in like, or talk, you know, whatever. And then some of them I was just like, no, this is not, I've got no energy for this. Mm-hmm. Well, this friend of mine was one of those, I've got no energy for this. And I was like, that's crazy. This is one of my longest standing friends. If anything, I would notice her absence greatest. Right. So I looked back and I started looking at it. And every time we would meet, first of all, she would always make an excuse and I would end up more often than not driving to her. And then every time we met, regardless of location, she would be 20 to 30 minutes late. And in LA, people are late, but I'm also living in LA and I made it there on time. You know what I mean? So years of this, I started to notice that every time, like I would get so frustrated every time. And then I would talk myself out of it because on top of that, then she'd show up and spend 10 minutes telling me why she was late. So like our hour of hanging out, you know, now I've got to hear 10 minutes of the big story of why you're late. I could care less. And I'm already, I'm just irritated. Right. Right. So But instead of like addressing it, I pushed it down. I made excuses. I was like, oh, I, you know, this will be triggering for her or, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't think the relationship can handle this or, you know, it's not that big of a deal, whatever, whatever. But over time, I realized I, the, the, I started making plans less and less and less. And so like the, you know, we'd see each other two weeks then it got bumped out to three weeks Then it was like six weeks then. And now I'm getting a zoom happy hour that I don't even want to participate in. And so that's a good example. I quickly went down that rabbit hole when I thought about, when I started to think about it, I was like, wow, now this thing, which is not that big of a thing, right? It's a conversation. This is what I need from you. This is a boundary for, for me show up on time Mm -hmm. or find a time if it, you know, a better time when you can show up on time, you know? And so if I had just had that conversation with her, instead of like building up a subconscious, like resentment over the years, it really created a chasm in our relationship. And so these things are really avoidable if you advocate for yourself and for the relationship and are kind of upfront about the way you're feeling. And so anyways, you asked me, how do you start? Well, just, I mean, I could go on and on. I say somebody's name and then I start to evaluate where we are. And so it feels daunting, but it's actually, it's actually easier than you think. And just writing down is really like all of a sudden you become accountable when you put something on pen and paper, right? You can't really Mm -hmm. unsee it. You can think in your head all day long, oh, this person's irritating, or I love this person. But when you put their name down and you see it, that visceral reaction cannot be duplicated in your head, right? It's like a body reaction. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you said something that made me think because I was like on the edge of my seat, like, well, then what happened? Did you have a conversation with her? Well, I I did. did Yeah. I talk about it in the book because I had it real time. I was like, well, now I'm going to do something about this. And so we sat down and I I chronicle it and it was super awkward. And it was so, it was so interesting because as I watched myself, really watched myself, I, again, before she came, oh, by the way, she showed up late for that meeting. And and I, I was watching myself talk myself out of like, I was really nervous. I was like, this is, you know, I know how this is going to end. This is going to be like, oh, she's not going to receive this well. Like she's also a very specific type of personality. So 
But yeah, and we went through it and was super awkward at the beginning. And then, but we did navigate ourselves to the other end of it. And I kind of talk about that in the book, the whole process. And yeah, I was, it was like, it was uncomfortable. But, you know, after thinking about it, I was like, this is one of my great friends. You know, this is somebody that's really valuable and has always supported me and stuff. And it would, it just, I'd love to get back to a place where we were like in the zone because that was a really great relation in that capacity that was a really great relationship what it's become is not good and it and and it could have ended if if it really wasn't received well and right. or i didn't like the answer or she didn't change behavior or you know but it didn't so far so good so <laughs> well i think what you're talking about though is repair with your friendships right. and i think i've actually mm-hmm. i mean you always think about like if you said sorry for like a little thing, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say it that way. I'm sorry. You were offended. But like, we're talking about deep repair with friendships. And I think a lot of times when you're really busy with the rest of your life, like Mm -hmm. for me to have a deep repair moment with my husband feels valuable because we see each other day in and day out. We parent our kids together. If I want my relationship with my husband to be longstanding, we have to have these like really deep, very awkward conversations about like, I hated the way that that happened with our kids the other day, or I felt blah, blah, blah. But with your friends, I feel like it's a lot easier to just decide, oh, well, I'm just not going to go to the Zoom happy hour. Oh, well, I'll just let that one kind of slide for now because I have too much going on anyway. And I like how you described basically kind of analyzing investigating what are the things that are making me not as invested in this relationship right now? And is there something I could do to bring it back to a place where I would want to invest my energy and Mm -hmm. being okay with the fact that if you took this to your friend for this really weird, awkward conversation and they weren't able to be reciprocal with it, that then you Mm -hmm. could have another decision point and a boundary around then is this a friendship that should go on or can go on. Right. Absolutely. And I think, I think even as you're describing it, why it's so important. So it's important for the relationship, but it's important, especially for women to get used to reflecting on their needs and wants and advocating for them. Right. Yeah. And so if you can practice doing that in friendship, guess what? You take that out into the world in general. And I think it is such a sticking point. Again, like even myself, who's like as confident as can be right. Yeah. When it came to these conflicts and that was so, I was like, why can't I just advocate for what I need? This is, this is yeah. nuts that if I can't yeah. do this, do you know how, you know how hard it must be for most people? So yeah. most women. So just getting in the habit of identifying this is, and, and then advocating for yourself is so important, demanding that you kind of be seen and heard And then if you're not, or the person isn't going to do it, and then, you know, being able to draw a boundary. And the thing that's really important is demanding to be seen and heard and also seeing and hearing Mm -hmm. of the other person. So it's not, is this relationships are reciprocal. Mm -hmm. And so it's like demand and also see and hear what the other person needs, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's how you're going to get something that's really active and providing energy, you know, between, between the two of you. And it's funny you brought up your husband because do you know the psychotherapist Esther Perel? No. Oh, well, she's amazing. She's a, she's 
She's an incredible couples therapist, and she has mm-hmm. a really amazing podcast called Where Should We Begin, where she oh, counsels yes, couples. I know that. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. I just don't know right, her name. Where yeah. we... Right, right. So she's unbelievable, and she's got a really cool Instagram. And I don't know her personally. She's just, as a therapist, she's like kind of iconic. I have heard her talking a lot in the last six months to a year about how in modern romantic partnerships, marriages, whatever partnerships, The other person has become everything, right? Right. So they are your, and and vice versa. And so you know everything about their work, every coworker, you know, you're not just talking about your workouts. Often you're doing the workout together, the yoga, the hiking, you're very co-parenting. You're totally enmeshed in the world of the child. And now in a pandemic where we've literally been working from home, it's become even that much more exacerbated, right? This is not the way relation, romantic relationships were 30, you know, 30, 40 years ago. There was a real separation of what you did in the day. And then you would come together. Nobody really knew what the other person was. I mean, you know, at a high level, but not the minutia, not the holding of every single detail. And so what Esther Perel has been talking about is, it's important. It's imperative to cultivate some meaningful relationships, friendships, to take the weight off of your romantic relationship because you can't be everything to another person or vice versa. It doesn't work. Yeah. It's too much strain, and in that strain takes away the magic and the mystery of what a really great romantic re- re- relationship can be. Right. On the one hand, you want to be soulmates and show every part of yourself. But on the other hand, you want to be selective about how you're interfacing with potentially the most important or one, certainly one of the most important people in your life, like other than your children, probably, but like on par with that. Right. And so cultivating great friendships, a couple, I'm not talking about 50. Yeah. Because as you start to understand how much it does take to, work on a good friendship. You can't have that many good friendships, but being, you know, intentional, intentional about cultivating a couple of these friendships so that they, you can not offload, but share who you are and parts of yourself and vice versa really can do wonders for the romantic partnership in your life. And I think, I mean, that's in great alignment with what we tell kids in general in terms of developing their friendships as they're younger too. I mean, you know, I talk all the time with kids about like having a best friend is fine, but you actually don't want that to be your only friend. You need to have like some different rafts of like my, my friends at basketball and my friends at school and my friends on the dance team or whatever. So that then when things go awry, because they do, because we're humans, you have not pinned all of your hope and value on right. this one person who has to carry the weight of all that. Right. And I would say too, and I know you would as a, as a psychotherapist, like most importantly also is like knowing yourself and who you are. Like you said, at the beginning of this conversation, being aware of what your own needs are and you being able yeah. to be, you know, your own best friend as much as possible with yeah. the resources that- and help of other people. That's right. That's the starting point. How can you possibly cultivate great friendships? externally when you're not a good friend to yourself internally right and that that's the first chapter of the book in fact first friendship i mean not first friendships the the bet you need to be your own best friend that's the only way you're really going to be able to 
number one, teach people how to treat you by the way you treat yourself and also really have a a razor like focus on what you're bringing to the table and what you need. And the only person that can answer those questions is you. So you need to take the time to understand what really motivates you, what really inspires you and what your needs are, and then go out and try and attract or reinvigorate the relationships that support that. I love it. Okay, you guys, I have been talking with Erin Falconer, who wrote How to Break Up with Your Friends, Finding Meaning, Connection, and Boundaries in Modern Friendships. I cannot wait for you guys to pick this up off the shelves, read it in a Kindle version, whatever. I'm sure it's available everywhere books are sold. It is, yes. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in, in the, any indie book, online indie book retailer. Awesome. Okay. Tell listeners where they can find out more about you and your other book that you've written. So that way they can follow you and get more of your great advice. Sure. Thank you. At Aaron Falconer for Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And at Pick the Brain is my blog on all of those platforms. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. mama if you want more of the modern mommy doc podcast make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes we'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag modern mommy doc if you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well thanks for listening